Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. And in just a moment, I'll read verses 14 and 15. Uh, Just to tell you where we are, we're three sermons away from being through with my series on Revelation. That will equate to 35 sermons. And the Lord has really spoken to my heart through Revelation. Let me tell you where we are today. We'll be talking about hell today, and I'll tell you about that momentarily. Next week, we'll be talking about heaven. Now, we're going to, there's two verses today, but we're going to look at several verses out of the Gospel of Matthew. Next week, we will cover two chapters, and we'll have to do it, obviously, quickly. But heaven is what the last two chapters of the Bible are about. And so we'll look at that next week. Two weeks from today, we will close out the series on Revelation. And uh, that means that we'll be looking at that last statement, that last final invitation that's given there. And we'll talk about come to Jesus. So that's where we're going. Hell today is what we'll be talking about, the lake of fire. And we'll go in depth on that. And then we'll look at heaven next week and then come to Jesus two weeks from today. And uh, then we'll press on. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Hell, the lake of fire. Then death and Hades. Hades, I had somebody, I'd always kind of wondered What's the difference between Hades and Gehenna? Those are the words. Hades, this is the best illustration I know to give you, all right, is the county jail, if you will, the local jail that when you get arrested, if you will, if you're guilty, you go to the jail and you stay there until trial. And then if you're guilty, you go to the penitentiary, all right? So Hades is the holding place. But if you want to see what it's like, you can read about a man in Hades in Luke 16. Remember the rich man and the poor beggar? Uh, Lazarus was the poor beggar, and Lazarus went to paradise, and uh, the rich man lost went to Hades or hell, okay? And so it's all hell, but it's, it's all confinement but it's where you stay. It's the holding place until you get to Gehenna. Gehenna is the lake of fire. It's the penitentiary for eternity, all right? So death and Hades are thrown into the penitentiary, if you will, the lake of fire. This is the second death, second death. What are you talking about? Well, lost people die twice. They die physically and then they die spiritually, but their spiritual death is an eternal death, all right? And that's the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown. And that obviously implies against his will. Uh, you're not, nobody's going to want to jump into hell, okay? They're going to have to be thrown there, be thrown or cast into the lake of fire. Now, what I'm going to do is because um, so many people say, well, I don't believe in hell. Jesus would never talk about hell. Look, look, at, look at me just a second. How many of you are listening to me? Anybody, anybody out there? You're listening to what I'm saying. Look at me. 
Jesus said more about hell than anybody else did in the Bible. Nobody talked more about hell in the Bible than Jesus. So if you believe the teachings of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to believe in hell. There's not an option. You have to, because he taught it. And what I'm going to do today, I've never done this until last night and this morning. I've wanted to preach this sermon, not that I want to preach it, but when I preach, I, I've thought for years that if, if I could just preach a sermon, one sermon on what Jesus said about hell. And so that's what I'm going to do. You say, well, wait a minute. We're in the book of Revelation. Do you remember what Revelation 1, 1 says? The revelation, not of John the disciple, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you the revelation of Jesus regarding hell. And we're going to just look at one book, just one book. Now there's other statements in the Bible about hell, but I'm just going to look at what Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew. All right. So everybody turn with me to Matthew chapter five. We'll be in verse 22 in just about 10 seconds. Okay. But I want to talk to you about hell the lake of fire and what Jesus said about it. Number one, Jesus said, only the guilty go to hell. Everyone in hell is guilty enough to be there. According to Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, but I say to you, and whenever he says that in the sermon on the Mount or any other time, he's contrasting are contrasting, whichever, however you want to say it, he is showing how different his teaching is than the teachings of the Jewish leaders. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. How many of you see the word guilty in your Bible there? Anybody? Okay. And he's not talking about the courts of man. He's talking about the court of God. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. It's the word raka. It means empty headed. I had a guy in Texas that called people. He would say, you're a hose head. And what he was saying is there's nothing inside. All right. That's the word. You good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Guilty, guilty, guilty three times. Guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Guilty is the word anakos. It means to be caught doing something that is illegal. And in our context, illegal against the laws of God. Guilty enough to go to hell. Scripture says that everyone who goes to hell is guilty of sin because everybody, even those that go to heaven, are guilty of sin as well. Everybody is guilty. And we don't like to hear that, but every person ever to live is a sinner guilty enough to go to hell. Isaiah said these words in Isaiah 64, verse 6, for all of us, and that's what all means is all. 
have become like one who is unclean. Now, you've got to understand biblical language. Unclean is the language of lepers. And when people who had leprosy, if they heard somebody approaching, they were required by law to say twice, unclean, unclean. And so here, Jesus or or Isaiah is saying, people are like spiritual lepers. They're unclean. All our righteous deeds, the very best we can do, are like a filthy garment, the garments of a leper. And all of us like a leaf, and our, all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You are as helpless as a dried up leaf blown in the wind trying to get yourself into heaven. All of us are sinners. All of us our very best, the very, the very best, look at me, you can't depend on the very best split second you've ever lived to get you into heaven. It's not good enough. Amen. You need Jesus Christ. You're a sinner and so am I. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But aren't you grateful that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross? One of my favorite verses about the death of Jesus is 1 Peter 3.18. It says, for Christ also died for sins once for all. That is once for all time. He doesn't need to die anymore. He said, it is finished, paid in full. So it's paid in full. Once for all. The just, that is Jesus, the only righteous one, the only just one for all of the unjust. That's all of us. So that he might bring us to God. So that he might reconcile us to God. So that he might remove the sin between us and God and get us together with God. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, and notice, but made alive or quickened, the King James says, in the spirit. When you repent of your sins, when you say, God, I can't promise I'll never sin again, but I am so sick of this sin, I turn my back on it. I'm sick of it. I don't want it. I repent and I turn my heart toward you. That's repentance. That's where you've got to come. If you have not repented, you are not born again. You've got to repent. And then, again, doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but it means you're so sick of it, you can't, you cannot continue to live this way. And then you believe, you focus on the cross and say, I believe what he did on that cross when he died for sins, he died for my sins. I believe when he rose from that grave, he rose to give me eternal life. I repent and I believe and I receive you. As many as receive you, to them you give the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in your name, John 1, 12. And I call upon the name of the Lord, save me, Lord. When you repent, believe and receive and call upon the name of the Lord, God washes all your sins away. Romans 10, 13, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you go to hell, it will not be because God predestined you to go to hell. If you go to hell, it will not be because God wanted to send you to hell. If you go to hell, it is your fault, especially people that come to a church like Bellevue Baptist Church. Now, if you go to some liberal church that never preaches the gospel, yeah, you might kind of blame somebody there, but you look at me. Anybody that comes to me, and I'm not bragging on me, I'm talking about Dr. Rogers and all the six guys before me. Look, this church has been preaching the cross and repentance for over 100 years. You come here, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get the Bible, you're going to get Jesus, you're going to get, you got to be born again. And there'll be no excuse. 
No excuse. You can be born again today. Aren't you glad that you can lose all your guilt? Only the guilty go to hell. Secondly, Jesus says, hell is serious. Some people laugh and say, well, I just want to, I want to go where all my friends are going to go. If they're going to hell, I just guess I'll go to hell. We'll have one big party. No parties in hell, friend. Don't ever kid about hell. It's not a laughing matter. It's serious. Listen to what Jesus said, how serious it is. Matthew 5, we're going to go left to right. How many of you think it's always good to go from left to right? Amen. <laughs> in life, it's good to go from left to right. Amen. Matthew 5, 29 through 30, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. That's pretty serious, is it not? Throw it away from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Think about that, chopping your hand off. Cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus repeats himself in several teachings. It's not, it's not wrong for that. You know, I repeat myself at times in sermons. And later on in Matthew chapter 18, he included one other part of the body, and that is the foot. He said in Re Matthew 18, eight through nine, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame as an amputee, if you will, than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fire of hell. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Is Jesus literally wanting us to pluck our eyes out, cut our hand off, cut our foot off? What he's saying is, using a metaphor, he's saying, hell is serious. It would, he's saying, it's, it would be better for you if you have an eye that just can't be controlled. If you have an eye that just keeps on looking at things it shouldn't look at in a way that it shouldn't look at, whether it's pornography or whatever it might be, if you have an eye that's messing with you, if that's the gateway for your sin, he said, I'm telling you, in the long run, it'd be better for you to pluck your eye out than to die and go to hell. That's what he said. If you have a hand that just can't, can't, you, I mean, you just can't control it. It's out of control and your hand keeps reaching for some relationship that is not good and is not godly or for something else that's not godly, whether it's drugs or alcohol or overeating or whatever else it might be. If your hand keeps on reaching out to something that's not right, he's saying it would be better, far better to cut it off than to keep on and let it send you to hell. And then he said, if your foot, he said, if, if you've got feet that are out of control and they keep taking you places that you don't need to go. Let me tell you something. If you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. Amen. Cut it off. It'd be better for you to have one foot and to hobble into heaven on crutches than to have two and to go into hell. All he's saying is hell is serious. Don't laugh about it and don't ever tell anybody to go to hell. You don't want your worst enemy to go to hell. Jesus said hell is serious. If you're going there, be saved today. Don't leave here on your way to hell. 
Thirdly, most people, Jesus said, are going to hell. You say, well, I don't believe that. I'm not teaching what you believe today. I'm teaching what Jesus said. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. You say, where did he say that? At the beginning of his gospel invitation in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, in probably the most famous words of this famous Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 through 14. He's wrapping things up in his sermon and he says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That's hell. And there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. That's heaven. And there are few who find it. Jesus spoke of two gates, two paths, two eternal destinations. He said, there's only two gates. There's the narrow small gate and there's the wide gate. There's only two paths. Once you enter into a gate, it determines what path you're on, the broad way or the narrow way. And if you stay on the broad way and the narrow way, there are only two destinations for your eternal soul, that is destruction, hell, or life, which is heaven. He unmistakably said many people choose the wide gate that leads to the broad way that leads to destruction, which is hell. Many people. That, he used the word many there. But then he used the word few go through the narrow gate. Jesus is the door, John chapter 10. He's the door. He's the only way to heaven. Few find the narrow small gate that leads to the narrow way that leads to the narrow or to, leads to life, which is heaven. I've had people say, you're narrow-minded. I said, that's because I had to enter a narrow gate. Amen. And I walk on a narrow road because I'm on my way to heaven, not hell. If I was broad, some people are so broad-minded, their brains are falling out. We've lost our mind. We're so broad-minded. I don't want to be broad-minded on the broad road that leads to hell. I want to be as narrow as the scriptures. Now, our culture takes offense to what I'm saying. And to what, not, let me back it off. It's not me. They take offense to what Jesus is saying. They dismiss the concept of hell, calling it scandalous. Why would anybody preach that? Because Jesus did. Jesus knows there's a hell. He knows it's real, and he warns us, and you don't have to join most people. This is a great place not to follow most people. Most people reject Jesus and go to hell. Don't follow most people. Follow Jesus. Enter the narrow gate today before you leave here. Fourthly, religious people go to hell. Just because you can perform a miracle or just because you can prophesy doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You say, what in the world are you talking about? What Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 through 23, be, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look great on the outside, but in their hearts, they're messed up. You will know them by their fruits, that is their works. Works don't save you, but if you are saved, you will have good works. And they are indicative that you're saved. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are. They sow every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. 
A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that bears, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's hell. So then you will know them by their fruits. You'll discern them by their fruits. What's the normal practice of their life? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are religious people. They're saying, Lord, Lord, but not all of them go to heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It doesn't mean that works save you, but it does say that if you're saved, you'll have works, and they're indicative of the fact that you're saved, and you will not get into heaven if you never show any works that prove that you're saved. I don't know how else to say it. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? There are going to be people who give prophecies of the Lord that die and go to hell. There are going to be preachers that go to hell. There are going to be religious people that go to hell. And then not only that, did we not prophesy in your name? Did in your name cast out demons? There are going to be people who have performed exorcisms. They die and go to hell because they evoke the name of Jesus. The authority is in the name of Jesus. And demons bow to the name of Jesus. Demons don't bow to you. They bow to Jesus in you. And if you invoke the name of Jesus, he's saying there, just because you cast out a demon, that doesn't mean that you're saved. And then he says, and you perform many miracles. In, in your name, we perform many miracles. Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons. In your name, we perform many miracles. That means we're saved, right? Wrong. You've still got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You've still got to be born again. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. There's the deal. It's not do you know Jesus. It's does Jesus know you. Amen. Now, if Jesus knows you, you'll know him. But does Jesus know you? And these are the words you don't want to hear. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said these were hypocrites. These false prophets were hypocrites. It's a Greek word, hypokratos. It comes from the theater in these days. And if you go to Israel or if you go anywhere in Europe and you find a Roman uh, theater for uh, the arts, the acoustics are incredible. You can hear anything. I mean, it's just un unbelievable. I've been to, in Ephesus twice, I've been there, 25,000 seat uh, stadium, and you can just speak like this with no microphones and everybody in the whole thing will hear you. But they couldn't see because obviously there's no electricity. So what they would do with the actors is this. If you wanted to emit the emotion of uh, happiness, you would pick up this big, mask on a pole and you'd hold it up in front of you while you were speaking. Everybody could hear you and now they could see if you have a smiley mask, you're being happy. If you have a sad fast uh, uh, a mask, you're being sad, whatever it might be, anger, whatever. And Jesus said when he called them hypocrites, he said, you're mask wearers. You're wearing a mask. You're a fake. What you want people to think you are, you're not. You're not genuine. And we'll know you by your fruit. If we can watch your life long enough, we'll see if you're saved. Those works don't save you, 
But look at me. If you tell me you're a rose bush, but you never grow a rose, after a while I'm going to be thinking, I don't think that's a rose bush. I think that's something else. If you tell me you're a Christian and I never see Jesus in you at all, you never talk like Jesus, you never act like Jesus, you're not connected with Jesus. If there's no fruit, there's no root. You shall know them by their fruits. Everyone in this room can have a genuine relationship with God before you leave here today. Religious people go to hell. Hell is also a dark place. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. He said some Jewish people are not going to get it. Sons of the kingdom, they're going to be cast out because they don't know me. They're going to be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. Jesus talked about this also in Matthew 25, 30. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness because it's outside of heaven. Darkness because it's the opposite of heavenly light. Peter said the same thing. He talked about darkness in hell. It's spiritual darkness. He says in 2 Peter 2, 20, uh, 2, 17, these people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. Do you remember, and I'm reading now through Exodus, do you remember in my quiet time, do you remember uh, when one of the plagues came, it was darkness over Egypt. Now there was light in the land of Goshen because God was differentiating between his people and the lost people, but there was a darkness so dark that they couldn't even move around. That's what hell is going to be like. It's going to be dark physically. It's going to be dark emotionally. Hell is the most depressing place in the universe. You say, I'm going to be there with my friends. We're going to have a party. No, everybody is isolated. And I'm telling you, everybody is totally, totally, I mean, to the nth degree depressed. It is darkness, spiritually, emotionally, and even physically. And I don't know how you get light from the fire and all that. It's going to be fire. Go look at uh, Luke 16 and see what Hades is like. It's also what hell will be like. There's going to be darkness. But you don't have to live in eternal darkness. You don't have to live in eternal depression. You can be saved today. But I'm going to tell you why people are going to be depressed, especially people that come to a church like this, because they knew the truth and they didn't obey it. And they will have regrets for the rest of eternity. Hell is a dark place. Number six, hell prompts us to fear God. Jesus said that. A lot of times people say, we shouldn't preach about hell. It's going to scar people. No, it's going to make them fear God, revere God, respect God. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing that we've lost in America. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those. Jesus is talking now. Do not fear those who kill the body. If we just stopped right there, we could have a whole sermon. There are some people so afraid of dying. You say, well, I don't want to just sign up today. Well, I don't either, but I want to say this to you. If I were to die today... That's not the worst thing that could happen to somebody if they know the Lord. 
Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. And what's the prepositional phrase there? In hell. Jesus taught that believing in hell leads to the fear of God. Now, I have some people say to me, you shouldn't preach on hell. It's psychologically damaging. Well, no, it, it, no, it doesn't. It emits the idea that there is not only a heaven to gain, but a hell to shun. And that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God gives wisdom. Do you know what the number one main verse in the whole book of Proverbs is Proverbs 9:10. Proverbs 9:10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the not, and then this is Hebrew parallelism. He, he explains that statement at the beginning with the second part of it. He says and the knowledge of the holy one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one. Fear of the Lord is the knowledge of the Holy One. When you see the Lord, He is fire. He is, he is, he is Almighty God. And you look, when you see God, you fall on your face and worship Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Understanding. So when you fear the Lord, you revere Him, you respect Him. And that is a good thing. Go look at Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He's not cocky. He's not arrogant. He's not strutting around in front of God. He sees God on the throne and he hits the deck and starts confessing not your sins, but his sins. Amen. That's what happens when you really get in God's presence. You change. He humbles you and you repent and you revere him and you respect him and you honor him. Fearing God is the wisest thing you'll ever do. And hell, the concept of hell, Jesus said, prompts us to fear God. Hell is also severe suffering. I think that almost goes without saying, but it is. Matthew 13, 40 through 42. So just as the tares, that's the weeds, are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather them out of the kingdom, all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He uses this idea of harvest. It's a common uh, language in his parables. He talks about the wheat and the, the tares, the weeds. You're either a weed, you're lost, or you're, you're wheat, you're saved. And the tares are gathered and burned up so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They're the reapers. And they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks they'll, who have committed lawlessness. All the unforgiven sinners will be like bales of wickedness that are going to be taken up and thrown into the furnace of fire. The furnace of fire is Gehenna, the lake of fire, where the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan already will be. A furnace of fire, ominous oven, whatever you want to call it, Infernal incinerator in that place, Jesus said. Hell is not a state of mind. Hell is a state. Hell is a real address. There is a real place in the universe called hell. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, not crying. Crying 
is what happens when you stump your toe or something like that. Weeping is when you, your child dies. You cry so hard, you don't think you can cry anymore. Jesus said hell is where people weep. They don't cry, they weep. It's gnashing of teeth. It's not grimacing. That's what you do when your coffee is bitter, grimacing. But when you gnash your teeth, that's when you break, you, you totally fracture your hip or something, and it's excruciating pain that won't go away. And in hell, it's 24-7, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you don't have to suffer in hell. You can be saved today. Hell is severe suffering. Hell is also for the unrighteous. Jesus said, Matthew 13, 47 through 50, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. When it's filled, when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down, gathered the food, good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out of the wicked, out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses a familiar Christ-honored metaphor when he talks about fishing. You might remember that the first disciples, some of them were fishermen there in Galilee. It's my favorite place to go when I go to Israel is Galilee. And he said to them back when he called them in Matthew 4, 19 to 20, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets they were fishermen. They followed him. So here he's talking about the second coming. And Jesus likens his second coming to fishing. He says, just as earthly fishermen gather in the good fish and also the bad fish and then sort them out, I too will return. I'm going to gather the wicked. I'm going to gather the righteous. I'll gather them similarly, but I will treat them differently. I'll remove the wicked from the righteous. They'll be thrown into hell, the unrighteous will. And I'll throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to suffer because they're unrighteous. And look at me. We're all unrighteous, but when we get saved, Jesus puts on you his righteousness. And I want to say this to you. You can't stand before a righteous God in judgment unless you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because your righteousness is like filthy rags. You don't have enough righteousness to get you anywhere. But Jesus' righteousness is all God needs to see when he sees you. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You, you, can, have the, you can walk out of here with a spiritual robe of righteousness on today if you will repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Hell is for the unrighteous. Hell is also for the unprepared. Jesus likened in Matthew 22, he likened heaven to a big banquet held by a king. Obviously, the king represents God. The king invited people. They spurned him. They said, no, we're not coming to your banquet. King got mad, angry. He said to the angels, if you will, he said to his servants, Go out there and compel them to come in. Go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. So his servants did what the king said, Matthew 22, 10 and following. Those slaves went out into the streets. They gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding 
hall was filled with dinner guests, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now what in the world is this talking about? There was a guy in there that was not clothed in wedding clothes. And guess what? You got to be clothed in certain garments to get into heaven. And you know what it is? You got to be clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said in Romans 13, 14, instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your evil desires. He said to the Galatians in Galatians 3, 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Jesus Christ. When you get saved, Jesus literally covers you in himself and in his righteousness. Again, we're talking about that. All who don't have the right clothes are not prepared for eternity. And if they die without being clothed in Christ, they won't be allowed to be at the banquet of God in heaven. But you can go to that banquet today if you will just get dressed and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell is for the unprepared. Hell is for religious hypocrites. Now, Jesus jumps all over. He, look, Jesus didn't jump all over prostitutes. He didn't jump all over liars or adulterers or anything. You know what he jumped on? Religious hypocrites. Listen to this, how he speaks to the Jewish people, leaders of his day. Matthew 23, 29 and following. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's that word again. Mask wearers. For you build the tombs of the prophets, you adorn the monuments of the righteous, and you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Here's what Jesus said. He said, you admit that your fathers murdered the prophets. And guess what? Jesus said, I'm the one the prophets were talking about. So why don't you just finish the job off and go ahead and kill the one that the prophets talked about? That's exactly what he says in the next verse. Look at this, verse 32. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. In other words, go ahead, finish the job. Your fathers killed the prophets. Now you finish the job. You go ahead and crucify the one the prophets spoke about. And then... I hear people say, well, I just want to preach like Jesus. I don't want to preach anything that would be harsh. Listen to this. This is Jesus. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Jesus said, you speak against immorality, but you commit adultery. You speak against lying, but you tell lies. You're hypocrites. But you don't have to live like that. Now, all of us sometimes are going to do things that we wish we hadn't done, and 
But if that's, if, if, if that, if, if, listen to me, one of the main ways that I know that I'm saved is when I sin, I can't get away with it. Amen. What do I mean by that? When I sin, listen to me. Let me give you an example. If I'm a little bit short with Donna, all you guys out there listening, it used to be I'd get convicted about that a little bit later. I'm telling you now, I had one, one person I was telling, I said, you know, the Lord's got me on a short leash. This person said, the Lord's got me on a keychain, <laughs> a keychain. And I'm telling you, Brother Jason, I'm telling you that when I sin, nobody has to tell me. The Holy Ghost is telling me. I got that thing. Hey, whoa, that's not Jesus. What you just did, the way you just drove, cutting that person off, that ain't Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus drives the speed limit? Amen? All right, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not playing with you. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost in you will bear witness with your spirit, and he'll convict you the moment you do it. And praise God. <laughs> praise God. It's not a condemning thing, but it is a conviction thing. I know that the devil will condemn you for something you did and you repented of. I'm not talking about that. That's condemnation. And there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want to say this to you. When Christians mess up, the Holy Ghost will convict you. Amen. He will. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Sure. If you don't, you need to be saved. And I mean that. You don't have to leave as a religious hypocrite. You can be saved. Number 11, hell comes unexpectedly. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to heaven or going to hell. Surely nobody would, know, would think that and, and not do something about it. Matthew 24, 50 says, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke about people who won't be prepared when either they die or when he returns, he's going to come unexpectedly. Lost people will be cast into hell, and they will never have expected that it was going to happen. You know what? You, you, you may tell you what lulls us to sleep. L listen to me. Please listen to me. i got about 10 more minutes. Please, please listen to me. Everyday life, it, it dulls us to sleep your routine, your job, and all that. Nothing wrong with those things, but you can just get to doing these things. Well, I got to take out the garbage. Well, I got to wash the dishes. And those things are necessary, but you just get so wrapped in those things that you don't think about the coming of the Lord, and you don't think about dying. So every once in a while, there's a sermon that comes along, or a teaching that comes along, or a song that comes along that God will say, are you thinking about eternal matters? You got to set your mind on things above doesn't mean you don't wash the dishes. doesn't mean you don't clean the house. But it does mean these things are totally secondary to the kingdom of God. you got to seek first the kingdom of God. How many of you are getting what I'm saying? Anybody out there? Okay. Okay. All right. You can prepare by looking for Christ to see him either in death or in the rapture. Jesus said you need to be watching. Matthew 25, 13. So you too must keep watching for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. Titus, Paul said 
In Titus 2, 11 and following, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. What is that? And the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe in the book, the Bible. I believe in born again, getting saved, and I believe in the blessed hope. Jesus is coming back, and I'm going to look for it. I'm going to look for it. Hell is, when it comes, it will come unexpectedly. Two more things. Hell was created to punish demons. You'd better believe in demons because they are real. If you don't believe them, they've already done their number on you anyway. Jesus believed in demons and he believed in the devil. And he said in Matthew 25, 41, then he also will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. We talked about that a few weeks ago, Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that's the antichrist, the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to spend eternity with demons and the devil and antichrist and the false prophet. You can spend eternity with Jesus and the saints of God and the angels of God. And look at me, those are the only two choices. Which brings me to my last point. Hell is the opposite of heaven. It is the opposite of heaven. Everything that hell, hell is, heaven is not. Everything that heaven is, hell is not. Matthew 20, now look at me. Everybody look at me, just say, Jesus spoke about hell and heaven in one breath, and he talked about hell before he talked about heaven. And let me just say this to you. You go check it out. Jesus spoke more about hell in the Bible than he did about heaven. And Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Listen to what he said. One simple sentence, very profound. These will go away into eternal punishment. Not purgatory, not nirvana, not soul annihilation, not cessation of spirit, eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Only two destinations, that's it. Hell or heaven. And everybody in this room and everybody in Memphis and everybody on this earth is going to be in one or the two based on what they do with Jesus during this life. There's no such thing as purgatory. The Roman Catholic doctrine that refers to a place or a state of suffering of souls and sinners who while they're there in purgatory, they're atoning and making atonement and they're amending their ways so that they can be, rele be released from there and go to heaven. In other words, they die lost, but they, they go to purgatory and they'll repent in purgatory and, and atone their sins. And go. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie that is not in the word of God. Amen. That is a lie. You die and you go before God. It is appointed unto men once to die and not go to purgatory. It is appointed once to die and after that the judgment and that's it. That's it. Purgatory is a lie. And then the Buddhists say there's nirvana, a transcendent state where we can achieve the ultimate goal of reincarnation, the circle of life like we heard about in The Lion King in the Disney movie. 
a transcendent state in which there's neither suffering, desire, sense of self. The person is released from the effects of karma and this cycle of death and rebirth. It represents the final goal of true Buddhism. Look at me. Buddha was wrong. There's no circle of life. Life is linear. You're born. You don't live before you're born. You are born. You live then until you die physically, and then you live forever in heaven or in hell. There is no karma. There is no nirvana. It's a lie. And then some people will say, I can't believe a loving God would allow anybody to burn eternally in hell and suffer eternally in hell. So I believe in soul annihilationism. I believe in the cessation of spirit. But that's not what Jesus says. He said, it is eternal punishment and heaven is eternal life. So I'm asking you, where are you going to be in a thousand years? Where are you going to be? According to Jesus, two options, hell or heaven based on whether or not you repent and believe in Jesus or you don't. When I die, not if, when I die, and I stand before the Lord, and I'm clothed in His righteousness, and I know that but for that righteousness of Jesus, I would go to hell. I'm going to be surprised about at least three things. Number one, I'm going to be surprised that I got in. That may shock you, but I don't know how many times I've read those verses, did we not prophesy in your name? That rattles my cage because I know there are going to be preachers in hell, and I don't want to be one of them. So I'm going to be a little bit shocked, even though I believe it in everything I preach, I'm going to be a little bit shocked that I get in because I know that what, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't. Amen. Number two, and I don't say this to be funny, so please don't laugh. I'm going to be surprised at some of the people that get in that I didn't think would get in. But then probably the biggest shock, number three, is I'm going to be shocked at the people that don't get in that I thought would get in. I had a friend that sang an old country song. My friend, I graduated, she was Pentecostal. I loved her. She was just a precious girl. She never wore makeup. She wore long dresses and she was Pentecostal. But she could sing. She was all state in chorus. She was so sweet. She never dated anybody. She just loved the Lord. But when she got out of high school, she messed up and she got away from the Lord. She started singing country music. She backed up Crystal Gale for years. She backed up Ronnie Millsap for years. Tremendous voice. But she came back to the Lord. How many of you know that you can come back to the Lord? Amen? You come back to Jesus. She came back to the Lord, and she started singing for the Lord. She's been leading worship now. She's charismatic. I love her to pieces. I don't care how many tongues she speaks in. Amen. That doesn't bother me. I don't care about all that stuff. 
I just, I just praise God she loves the Lord. And she's down in, Mo, in not Mobile, but uh, down in uh, Muscle Shoals down there, and she leads worship. Named Cindy Richardson. One of the sweetest voices I've ever heard in my life. And she sang, I think it was an old Kitty Wells song. I'm going to close with you. With it. I can't sing it as good as her. But think about it with me. I dreamed I had gone to that city. That city where never comes night. And I saw the fair mansions of glory. I saw the fair angels of light. And I gazed for long years of rapture on the faces of saints I love true. And I sang with the seraphim holy. I dreamed I searched heaven for you. I looked on both sides of the river that flows through the city of God. I searched through bright mansions celestial, streets of gold pavement I trod, the faces of saints by the millions. I stand scanned in my yearning to see the face I had cherished so fondly, the face that had grown dear to me. I asked of 10,000 sweet angels, have you seen this beloved one, pray tell? Have you met in the bright courts of heaven the one who's on earth I loved well? They shook their heads sadly and told me that they had not seen you. And then I knew that somewhere in the darkness of hell you wandered alone, lost in sin. I dreamed I searched heaven for you, searched vainly through heaven for you. Friend, won't you prepare to meet me up there, lest I should search heaven for you? Oh, won't you prepare to meet me up there, lest I should be searching heaven for you? If you don't, amen, don't, if you don't know the Lord, let's just bow our heads just for a moment. If you don't know the Lord, why don't you repent? Why don't you believe in Jesus right now? I don't have to lead you in a prayer. I'll do that in a minute if you don't know what to say, but just tell the Lord that you're sorry for your sins and that you want to repent and you want to live for him. You believe that Jesus died for you. You believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Just repent. And it's just, it's just as simple as that. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. It is the most profound thing you'll ever do. And you've got to do it in a moment in time. You don't, 
ooze over into heaven. You don't get there by osmosis. You get there by being born again. And just like a baby, one minute is not born, and the next minute there's a birthday, there's a birth time. They say that this baby was born at this time, just like there's a death time, and there's a time when you get saved. Are you ready for that? So if you want to pray and receive Christ, you got to call upon the name of the Lord. That's prayer. you got to repent. you got to believe. Do that now. But if you say, I, I don't know what to say, and if you would like me to help you with that, just like I would help a young couple in their wedding vows, I'll be glad to do that. But it's not just mouthing some words. It is giving your life to Jesus Christ. Would you do that today? In the balcony, would you do that on the main floor? Pray something like this, dear Lord Jesus. I want to live for you. And then one day when I die, I want to be with you for all eternity in heaven. Lord, I want to be saved. And I'm tired of putting it off. I'm tired of not knowing. So Lord, as best I know how, I, I pray that you'll help me. I repent of my sins. I turn from them. I'm sorry that I have broken the laws of God. I know that I've done it. I ask you to forgive me. And I believe that when you died on that cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe that when you came out of that grave, you rose to give me eternal life. I believe that, Lord. I repent and I believe and I receive you right now. Lord, I, I need you. I ask you. you. You said, call upon me and I will answer you. And I, I'm calling, dear God. I'm asking you. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I'm asking you to save me. I receive you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus Christ. Take up my life. Let it be. Let my, my very body be the temple of the living God. And from now on, Lord Jesus, I, I'm asking you to let me live for you and let me tell as many people as I can about you before I die. Lord, I, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I don't know how to say this to you. If you just prayed that and you meant that, you're going to heaven. You're not going to hell. And not only that, you can live for the Lord for the rest of your life in forgiveness and freedom. A load just came off of you, whether you know it or not. Shackles just came off of you, whether you know it or not. Now you're going to start growing in grace, and that's wonderful. But you'll never have to worry again about eternity. And when you stand before God, God will say, yep, I heard you. And I saved you because I promised you whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. And you did, and I saved you. Father, thank you for being so good to us in Jesus' name. Amen.